Welcome to episode 23 of the Conversations on Death podcast. My name is Lorena and I'm your host for the Conversations on Death podcast. Death is the one thing we all have in common, yet it's one of the most taboo subjects in our culture. So I invite you, dear Deathling, to join my guests and I as we dive deep into everything death-related, and in the process, learn about the many lessons death has to teach us the living. What's up, guys? Welcome back. On today's episode, I speak to Tina, also known as Kat Courtney, who is the afterlife coach. She is a traditionally trained ayahuasquera and plant medicine guide. Ayahuasca, for those of you who don't know, is a hallucinogenic plant used as medicine, usually. Medicine in terms of what it does to people after they go on this journey and the transformation that it creates within people. So she's a plant medicine guide. And so what she does now is she helps people integrate their experiences with psychedelics to make sense of these transformative spaces. She also has the honor of working with people who are facing the reality and the truth about death. And so people who are sometimes terminally ill will do ayahuasca and ayahuasca ceremony, and they're trying to make sense of everything that they see and they experience. Um, it's really powerful. It's a really powerful medicine. And this conversation was pretty fascinating. I mean, this is a totally different way of looking at death, a totally different lens. Unfortunately, the audio is a little shitty at times, but I try to make it work. So I began by asking Kat to tell us how she got started. Oh, goodness. Well, um, full name is Kat Courtney. My little nickname is the Afterlife Coach. <laughs> I have a passion for connecting with the part of consciousness that uh, is out of body. And that has translated through me working primarily with plant medicines. I've discovered ayahuasca about 15 years ago, and she saved my life and made my life a dream life in addition to that. So the two passions that really I weave into my work, writing and coaching people are using plant medicines for healing and the expansion of consciousness and making friends with death. Wow. Beautiful. So before we even go further, I want you to tell our listeners what ayahuasca even is, because some people might not be familiar. And then I want to hear about how you know you found it and your experience with that 15 years ago. So ayahuasca is a very potent psychotropic tea that comes from the Amazon jungle. It actually contains two plants that when put together creates a very out-of-body altered experience. Uh, it's been used for thousands of years for healing, you know, everything from emotional trauma to physical blockages. Um, and of course, it helps to expand our consciousness and help us remember who we are. Uh, it's really what she is to me. And I say she because it's a very feminine spirit. Anybody who works with her, it's very obvious. This is a motherly maternal energy in a plant. And what's interesting about that is before I discovered ayahuasca, I couldn't keep a house plant alive, let alone did I ever think I would be communicating with mm. plant spirits. That's me. Yeah. Interesting. It's still me, by the way. I can talk to plants. I just can't grow them. <laughs> different gifts. 
right? Um, but yeah, so Aya is this amazing expander of consciousness that helps us to heal and to move past blockages. And I discovered her because I, I needed help. I was um, bulimic and alcoholic and just kind of uh, a lost woman that hadn't been taught to love herself. And so I had a boyfriend at the time that's like, you want to go to the jungle and try this medicine? And I was up for it. And it totally changed my life. And I helped, it helped me find my path. I was a video game producer then, which was fun, but it, was, oh, wow. it wasn't me. And had you prior to that done any hallucinogenic type drugs? And if so, what was the difference? I had a great question really, because when I worked with ayahuasca is the first time I recognized why they called it a medicine versus mm -hmm. a drug. So I'd work with MDMA, which had some really amazing results too. And LSD and like, I was a very curious, like looking for something to make me feel whole again, because mm -hmm. you know, it was very traumatic. My internal process, I had attempted suicide, uh, diagnosed bipolar, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I tried all, all the whole spectrum of psychedelics, just trying to see if anything would help. What's different about ayahuasca, about the plant medicines for me is, is you notice it the morning after that you feel amazing. You don't feel hungover, you don't feel toxic, like mm -hmm. after a night of drinking or even, you know, with LSD and whatnot. And that's kind of the core component of what makes organic plant medicines different is they make you more of yourself. You know, mm -hmm. Not necessarily, but you feel amazing, usually the next day, at least physically. And what is that process like? Where where did you do it? What country did you do it in? In Peru. How does one find a ceremony that's reputable? And because uh, I know it's becoming a lot more popular now, and there's a lot of sketchy ones, and some of them aren't necessarily led uh, with a shaman. And what's the difference? And how can like if people want to do this, how can they find the correct place? Yeah, that's such a good question because you're right. There's so many. There's so many people that are like drinking the medicine a handful of times and then saying, I'm a shaman. I know what I'm doing. And the analogy <laughs> I make with that is that's like watching Grey's Anatomy and saying, I got surgery. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's no, you know, it's literally years and years of training. And so wherever you sit, I mean, the safest thing to do when we have the cap the capability to travel, thanks COVID, is to go to some place like Peru at a retreat that this is all they do. And the shamans, like my, the first person I trained with had been drinking medicine since he was 12 years old. Like it was in his blood. Um, it, but if you don't have that opportunity, there's a lot of underground circles in the U.S. And you know, it's being decriminalized here and there. There's five cities now in the U.S. that have decriminalized uh, plant medicines. Mm, uh, what are they? They are, let's see, Berkeley, Oakland, Chicago, Denver's uh, done it with psilocybin and then Oregon just passed the entire state. Oh, wow. Like, all drugs and medicines. Nice. So, and, and Santa, Santa Cruz also last year decriminalized the organic. Oh. Medicines. So wow. it's starting to take effect in the mainstream, but to your question, you know, if, if you're going to sit in a circle, ask a lot of questions about, the training, where the medicine comes from, like, you know, if, if they're not forthcoming with the answers, I don't consider it safe. Mm -hmm. You want to have some transparency with the people that you're sitting with. And what do you, what do you mean by not safe? Are there any health concerns or? There are. About that. 
any anything that has the capacity to heal these like toxic and deep illnesses in us has the capacity to cause trauma too. Mm. It's just that ayahuasca and plant medicines like it can be traumatic if you're not in the environment of a safe set and setting. And by safe, I mean, first of all, people that are trained to work with the medicine that know what they're doing and that know how to handle it if somebody goes through a really dark night of the soul what we call it. And uh, in addition to that, like if you have a history of seizures or heart complications, or if you've been on SSRIs or MAOIs, Mm. that can cause physical issues. Um, And, you know, people who aren't trained in this, they don't necessarily know that. So you got to have people who are experienced to keep you safe. Mm. And how was it for you transitioning from doing these ceremonies to helping people kind of put make sense of those experience like what made you want to transition to doing that and what was that process like for you it was naturally happening because what I was doing I was apprenticing with a maestro from the jungle who would come to my house in Vegas actually <laughs> and work with the Las Vegas crew mm-hmm. uh, which was my favorite crew a bunch of misfits they're amazing <laughs> um, but because I was hosting I was responsible for getting people ready. And there's a diet that you follow, a protocol that you follow before you drink the medicine, as well as just making sure everybody was okay in the aftermath. And it was just this natural process of I noticed I was basically coaching people through the process of integration. Uh, And I about six, seven years ago, I was just like, I wonder if I could make a business out of this because I'm doing it anyway. And it just kind of blossomed from there. Integration wasn't even a thing now that back then. Now it's very much part of the dialogue that all of us involved in plant medicine talk about. It's really important to help people make sense of what the heck just happened in those altered spaces. Yes. And I have a few friends who have done this and I've never really heard of anyone guiding them through integrating their experience. It's more on their own and they try to make sense of it on their own and it just seems really helpful. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, so I know you do work with, well, I guess one of the things that the medicine accomplishes is people tend to view death differently. So I want to hear about that. Well, here's a cool thing. The etymology of ayahuasca means either vine of the soul or vine of the dead. Because in Quechua, soul and dead, death are the same word. Because they hold that when you die, you just become your soul again. You drop your body. Mm. Hmm. So it's in the name of the medicine itself that the highest and most difficult for some experience that you can have on ayahuasca is the ego death experience. Is the feeling as if you're dying or dead. And your, your body's fine. It's just you're having that experience on a mental level. And the beautiful thing is, is that people that go through that, they recognize unequivocally because it's been an experience that they are conscious without their bodies, that there is more to their consciousness than just the thoughts in their head. So it's, it's, it's very difficult for most people. Every now and then it's graceful, but man, is that breakthrough what I think everybody deserves to know in their, in their beingness. And I know you agree. It's like that this is safe. Yeah. The thing we are most afraid of is completely safe. What a shock that must be. <laughs> um, so how did you view death prior to getting into ayahuasca? It's always been my passion in a way that I've been more anxious for death than I have for life, for most of my life. As a child, I was born really sick. I was born with what they thought was cystic fibrosis, and I had to live in an oxygen tent for a while. And I distinctly remember knowing that I could just put my head on the pillow 
and go home and not have to deal with the ickiness in my body. And the only thing that kept me there was my mom's sweet little face looking through the oxygen tent. I'm like, oh, I'm going to break her heart if I leave. And I never forgot that. It's just this kind of embedded memory of death is safe. So it's been a passion forever. And uh, it wasn't until, so at age 20, I had a traditional NDE, which is an ego death. My body shut down. It happened because I was severely asthmatic and I'd gone through a massive asthma attack and I'd stopped breathing and my friends took me to the hospital. Uh, and I have a distinct memory of looking down, you know, as people talk about at the, the body on the table and being like, oh, that poor girl. And then going, oh, that's me. <laughs> Oh goodness. And I looked up towards the fluorescent light and the ceiling of the hospital. And I so wanted to go into that portal. And there was a presence, which I can only, you know, guess was like a guide of mine saying, Oh no, 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 you, you got to go back in. And I did not want to do it. There was all this resistance. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm waking up in my body again, screaming. They had shot me with adrenaline. Oh my God. Just boom. Back yeah. Oh no, I'm back. <laughs> But wow. it validated everything I felt in my beingness of like, of course, we're conscious outside of the body. And if I had any fear of death at that point, it was completely gone, at least consciously. I recognize my body still fights it. Of course she does, because, you know, right. she, it's, yeah. it's part of us. Hmm. Part of us, exactly. And then you had a second one as well, a second near-death experience at some point? Wow physical level. So I have had the experience of ayahuasca of like I described of thinking, oh, I'm dead. And this is years into my training where I'm telling myself, you know, you've coached a ton of people through this experience. You're not actually dying. But I was fully convinced of like, nope, this is it. I'm 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 and I had that full experience of my mind shutting down and then becoming conscious in a different way. A feeling consciousness that wasn't connected to thought. And that mental space, which was exactly like the NDE, but mm -hmm. in this case, my body was actually fine. So that's why I think working with ayahuasca is so magical around this piece of recognizing who we are as a consciousness that is not limited to thought. Hmm. And um, with doing the ceremonies, do you feel now just in your regular day-to-day -day life uh, more connected to things or more aware. I, I don't know what the word would even be. I mean, like you, for example, for the uh, near death experience, you mentioned uh, feeling the presence of a guide. Do you feel that when you're not drinking ayahuasca? I also, do. I do. It's 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 made me the person I always thought was crazy, like <laughs> all skeptical of this, and now I'm the airy, very spiritual being because it's it's the truth. Mm. Absolutely feel the presence of spirits, both mm -hmm. spirits, and because I work so much with plants, like I'm deeply connected to some plants, spirits. Mm -hmm. I know them better than I know some humans in my life. So mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of, you know, energy outside of the the density of the physical space. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's there's spirits all around us. So mm -hmm. yeah, now that's a big part of my life is communicating with that part of consciousness. And do you feel like there's an exchange of information between you and the spirits? I do. Yeah. I feel like when they recognize that we hear them, mm. like, what? You know, <laughs> especially because plants are, are out of all of the spirits until recently, 
are the ones that we just think are, oh, look at that lovely tree that's just there. Mm. They're conscious. And when you know how to talk to them, which is different than how you and I are talking, there's this this joy of like, she's talking to me. How do you talk to them? I want to talk to trees. (laughs) about it, actually. Like, because plant communication happens through our hearts. And mm-hmm. animals do it all the time. That's how they know what's food and what's poison. And they're interacting right. with that way. We can do it. We just forgot. We got too stuck in our heads. Yeah. Isn't that a problem with like everything? <laughs> so how, how would you define death wisdom? I saw that in your website and I want to hear more about your definition. That's a great question. Nobody's asked me that. I love that. <laughs> to me, death wisdom is simply the awareness almost more of what it isn't than what it is. What it isn't is an ending. Mm. It's hard to even answer the question of what death wisdom is because it's beyond language. It's beyond what we can articulate. Right. Part of it, it's the, it's what I said earlier of like knowing that it's safe. And I know that wisdom is in all of us because we've died. I know we've died many, many times and come back to play this game of forgetting. And so what I try to do in the coaching, I, you know, I'm really lucky to work with people who are transitioning, who are terminal and know that it's coming up fast. And I do my best to help them connect with that awareness of, oh, everything's okay. Right. Going anywhere. I'm just transitioning because it's in there. And as the body gets weaker, the spirit gets stronger. That's yes. Part. And mm. we get to remember that if, if we're lucky to transition in that way. Hmm. Do you think, how do you think people can, that are in the process of transitioning, connect to that? Is there a way that they can connect to that without using plant medicine? Absolutely. I mean, anything that helps us get out of the headspace, really the the work that I do is try to connect to the heart. So there are meditations, there are spiritual practices, really all the spiritual practices are about this in one way or another of quieting the mind and that's where that wisdom of death and life exists so and and it's a very personal kind of path for each of us in terms of what gets us out of our heads sometimes it's music sometimes it's Mm. movement sometimes it's plant medicine sometimes it's silence and stillness sometimes it's connecting with nature sometimes it's connecting with people that we love who are in that heart space but that's and then to stay curious once you do the work of feeling your consciousness shift into something other than your mind is to be like, okay, okay what, what, what's in here? What am I feeling? And the last piece is learning to trust that. We have been so conditioned to think that only our thoughts are valid and we're incredibly instinctual creatures, all of us. It's just to learn to start to trust that and get a feeling of like, hey, is that my mom on the other side trying to communicate? The mind will immediately go, no, can't be. But to learn to trust that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, since you said, um, you mentioned we come back many, many times. I want to hear about what you've learned about reincarnation and I guess as much detail as you have. Absolutely. Well, I'll <laughs> share a very recent ceremony experience with somebody who had an ego death. And she sat up and said, Cat dead. Usually I hear I'm dying. This time was dead. Fantastic. And they're like, what are you feeling? She's like, I've done this 10,000 times. And she was unequivocally certain. And this is what happens in this space is you connect with the, the memory of who you are 
as a soul and as a spirit. And it's so obvious there. Now, the moment any of us come back in and the mind takes over again, there's all of us are so skeptical. Is that true? But I trust how it feels is just this awareness that, I mean, the, the way I look at it from a really logical perspective is if we're on the path to becoming Buddhas or Christ consciousness, I don't know about you, but I'm going to need more than 80 years in this <laughs> to reach that. I'm doing okay, but I am not a Buddha. So it makes perfect sense that as an evolution of consciousness, we need a lot of time and a lot of experiences. 80 years in the average lifetime is not enough to know the entire spectrum of this like incredible dualistic space. So it even makes logical sense that we have to come back over and over again to continue because it's life is a game of learning and expansion and, and getting back into, for me, being in the space of, of love, of like mm-hmm. vibrating in that. And we're not really there yet as a consciousness. So, you know, I think, I think, it's obvious we need we need time and experiences to continue to evolve. So ayahuasca has made it abundantly clear to me that uh, yeah, we we have thousands of lives in this reality. And then she's like, well, can you imagine a consciousness where there's instead of duality, it's triality or mm. quadrality? It's like wow, you know, there's all these different dimensions that that um, well, I don't remember, but I trust exist. Right. And so with the uh, end goal, I guess, being becoming Christ consciousness or the Buddha or whatever, you just whatever, we can use many different words for it. Um, hmm. And what's the point of that? Well, to me, that's the end game here in duality. In duality. Okay. Duality is to crack the code of being immortal and remembering who we are and, mm. and come from the heart space. And it's a big code. It's a very big code. Mm-hmm. Once cracked, I have no idea where we go next. You know, I have memories of being um, like from Lumerian society, from uh, the great central sun, from places in the... What is all this? It's, it's these weird memories of being basically an alien. Of, an alien, okay. Yeah, that my body is like, I'm not a human. Mm. And this kind of awareness of, well, okay, maybe that's what's next is we, those of us that are here on earth, we came here to master this, to crack the code. And and it's it's really intense down here. Ayahuasca calls it earth school. I like that expression. Mm-hmm. We're in earth school and there's a lot to learn. What happens after that? I think it's, again, very individual to, to us as a soul of where we're going to go next. But if this exists, then an infinite number of consciousness portals or dimensions can exist. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. <laughs> I love picking people's brains when it come to this, comes to this. Um, so you shared a story of, you know, someone who went through, through this. I want to hear more stories of transformation of clients or just throughout the years, people that you've encountered of, I guess, being in a really dark place prior to doing this plant medicine and then on the other end on the other side, what that looks like for them. Yeah. Well, um, I've helped a lot of people or really witnessed a lot of people move from the space of, if this doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. Like Mm. miserable in this incarnation to after some work with both plant medicine and integration, falling in love with this crazy earth. 
in this lifetime. That's my favorite transformation to go from get me out of here to like, oh my God, isn't it amazing? This incredible life. Really nothing, nothing changes from an external perspective. It's what happens internally. And what we learn is that the way we relate to our lives is what we're in control of. Nothing else. But ayahuasca's expression to me is we can walk through hell with a smile on our face and then everything's heaven. Wow. (laughs) We're we're that powerful. We can turn hell into heaven by how we relate to it. And so that's what I've got to watch many, many people do. You know, but there's a mystery around when it is that we're ready. There's also people that come and they try really hard and, and do shift, but not in that full, like, I'm madly in love with the world. So it's not like this is a, a tried and true formula that is guaranteed. It's not a cure. There's something mysterious about when the soul is ready to heal and say, I'm ready to choose love. Regardless, though, with plant medicine and what I get to witness, I never see people who regret having done it. You know, mm, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're deeply attached to wanting it to look different or I wanted to be completely healed. I wanted to be completely happy. But, you know, I feel like there's a wisdom in our souls that, that the suffering we go through is not accidental. And ayahuasca plant medicines, they won't circumvent that. And so it's not a cure. There are like a lot of places that claim that, that plant medicine is a cure for everything that ails us. It's not. It's an expansion of consciousness. And if we're ready, and if we do the work of integrating what happens in the ceremonies, anything is possible. I've seen terminal cancer, people that had three weeks left to live, turn that around, heal their bodies and are alive years and years later. Wow. So anything is possible, but it's not guaranteed. Right. And this transformation, uh, do you most often see it happen right away after they come back, after the ceremony is over or is it through integration and over time they're like okay i don't want to be dead anymore either it happens Mm, depends there are some people that come and right after the ceremony like everything has shifted there's a woman who had kidney disease and it was terminal and the week after she did three ceremonies with us she went to the doctor and they're like you don't have anything in your body anymore just like that then there are people that basically get homework in the in the altered space of, oh, here's what I need to do. I'm not loving myself. I'm not taking care of myself. Or I'm in a, in a relationship that's toxic or whatever it is about our lives that has to shift in order for the healing to happen. That usually takes support with integration. You know, somebody that holds them accountable and helps them make sense of what was communicated. So it can happen either way. Mm. What do you, what, what does it say to you that someone can, with cancer, whatever kind of disease, be okay in a matter of days? Like, what do you think causes disease? Trauma, trapped emotions, and of course, toxicity. You know, mm-hmm. The toxic world plays a role in that. But the biggest thing that causes disease is, is trapped emotions from the lives that we have lived. And, you know, most of us are not taught that it's safe to feel our emotions and how to even do that, which involves not being in our minds, being in our bodies and letting things flow. So this is what ayahuasca, one of the superpowers of this medicine is, is that she has a way of finding where the stuck energy is in our bodies, in our emotional beings. 
And part of the process of being in ceremony with ayahuasca, it can be very purgative. You know, so you can, and purging happens vomiting, but it also happens crying and sweating and yawning and itchiness and like all kinds of ways that energy starts moving through our bodies again. And that's how stagnant, stuck things that become disease, you know, are able to start to move. And, and then we can replace, especially after we purge or we release, we can call in the stuff that we wanted in place of that sadness, fear, anger, etc. So that's how she helps us heal. And I say help because the medicine doesn't do it. We have to feel it. Right. We have to do the work. This is not a get out of jail free card. <laughs> so, so all the standing energy, it's not just from this current lifetime, but you mentioned past lifetimes as well. For sure. Hmm. Past lifetimes in terms of our own journey and also the DNA that we carry. You know, right. uh, the, the people who come frequently into ceremony, they do a lot of lineage work. You know, there are people that are very aware of I'm healing what my mother couldn't heal because she died before she could deal with it. So I'm picking up. So it's it's our own soul DNA and our our physical DNA of our the family that we're from. Mm. We're carrying all of that. Yes. Yeah. I, th- that's something I started to realize, um, lately. It seems as if I guess certain physical problems are like literally passed down straight, you know, from my mom or my dad or grandma or whatever it may be. Um, hmm. how do you think, um, someone who isn't going through a ceremony or is not ready to go through a ceremony yet, could help themselves now and healing themselves? Well, it's all about feeling. Uh-huh. So whatever it is that we do to stir up our regular lives and to create a spiritual practice that's devoted to what am I feeling and how do I allow myself to feel that? Plant medicine is just one way. One of the most powerful ways to do that that has nothing to do with taking a psychedelic is breath work of getting into an altered space, just using the breath. Breath does the same thing. It's our steering wheel. So if we are like, okay, I'm going to ground in, I'm going to breathe a certain way in order to move the energy. It works just as well, really does. It's just as powerful. And it's shocking because it's just the breath. And yet, oof, you get that going and you oxygenate your body in a certain way and the emotion starts to flow. We have to just give ourselves permission to feel these things mm-hmm. that get trapped in us. Uh, do you have a specific uh, breathwork meditation that you would recommend? I studied pranayama. So there's lots of different schools of breathwork. But pranayama is, um, I love it because it's, it's, it's the breath of fire. So it's really good intense, but then it involves a, a softness of, of meditation, of moving the energy and then like relaxing into it. Um, but there's a really, I've tried all kinds of different pathways with breathwork. I love them all. It's all a matter of like some of the breath is more fiery and intense. Some mm-hmm. of it softer and approachable if people are new to it because it doesn't feel so intense out of the gate. You can build up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, just get breathing in a way that is most of us breathe so shallow. Our bodies aren't even getting to feel the, mm-hmm. the kind of deep breathing. So even making a commitment to doing that is so physically healing. Mm. Yeah. And be more aware of our bodies at all times too. But yeah, just be more present too about how we feel minute to minute yeah. and not just in living in our heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
paying attention. Right. Before we get super sick, we always get whispers of, hey. Mm, That's interesting. What's going on? Like, "Mm," you know, and if we just paid attention to the little signs that our body was telling us, we could we could live longer and happier. Right. And also our gut or whatever you want to call it or intuition or whatever it is. It's always telling us little things or I don't know, maybe it's telling me cause I'm, I'm paying more attention lately, but I think it's, it's a mechanism that we all have and we can use, but a lot of people just I'm like, Oh no, it's just crazy. Right. We just kind of, we hear it. And right. Then we it. The mind says, ah, oh, no, nah. no, mm-hmm. that's a gut instinct. We literally have language around it. That's where our intuition comes from. We can right. feel it in our belly. It's the second brain. So yeah, if, even if we, we all made a commitment to listening more to that part of ourselves, we would know more about what's happening in our bodies and our emotional beings. That alone is life-changing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before we go into the questions that I had prepared for you, is there anything else that you would like to share or discuss You know, just asking everyone listening to have a commitment to a a daily spiritual practice. Mm. It is the biggest and easiest game changer. And whatever you want that spiritual practice to be is perfect. Just to add this this motto or mantra that Ayahuasca gave me a long time ago Mm. to remember that anything you do out of self-care to come from a place of this is to me from me with love. To remember that we drink the water, we do the yoga, we meditate, we do all of these things because we love ourselves and we deserve to feel better. And if we could all just add that extra oomph into the things we're already doing, we'd be coming from a lot more love, which is what I think the world needs right now. We're in a lot of fear. So anything that we do to transmute aspects of our fear into love is so powerful and healing for everybody. Yes. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Um, So let me ask you then the last two questions that I ask everyone coming to the end. Okay. So if you were to die tomorrow, um, how would you like to be remembered? As really, truly as someone who made an impact to reminding people that death is safe. Mm -hmm. I'm doing everything I can to die with a smile on my face. (laughs) If, if, if there's one thing I want everybody to know, that's it. Because if we all knew that, we wouldn't be running around hurting each other and freaking out and scared of everything. And like, we'd <laughs> be so much nicer to each other. So that's, if I had one legacy, that's it. Wow. And if you were to compile all the knowledge and wisdom um, that you've learned throughout your life into a message to share with the world, what would the message be? It's a similar message, but my mm-hmm. motto is everything's always okay. <laughs> always okay and if you don't if you don't relate to it in a way that's okay that that means that there's something to heal mm. everything is always okay even when the worst case scenario is happening because death is safe because we're here to learn it's okay right yeah everything will be fine yeah beautiful Thanks. and if people want to get in touch with you learn more about you how can people reach my website is afterlife.coach and you can email me, reach out anytime at cat at afterlife.coach. That's also what I am on social media. So 
Yeah, I love to hear from people that are passionate about this, either death or plant medicine topic or both. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Kat. Thanks for opening up and, you know, providing all the beautiful answers and wisdom that you did. Thank you for having me, Lorena. It's an honor. Hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, please make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. It really helps spread the message. Also, if you'd like to connect with me, follow me on Instagram at conversations on death. And I will talk to you guys soon. Take care.